Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And I would just like to give a shout out to our new listeners. Jack, we have got a number of new listeners. They're finding the podcast and they're also finding us on Patreon and supporting the show, which we are very thankful for. Wow, you are now even doing this at the beginning of the show as well as at the end. Nice book ending there, Jennifer. Moving right along. I thought it would be really fun. Jack's already making a face. Really fun to give new listeners a sense of what the podcast is about with a little historical reenactment. Are you ready? Am I ready? I guess I'm ready. I'm not ready. Okay, so Jack, so you type feverishly and I will, I'll write a communication to you. Why? Okay, I'm doing it because I do what I'm told, but why am I typing feverishly? Hi, what am Jack. I re- oh, I see. I'm reenacting. I'm uh-huh. writing something. I'm working and you're interrupting me. Hi, Jack. Yeah. We got a great suggestion from a listener <laughs> for an episode. What would you think if we did something about blank? Yeah, and, and then what happens, so before I can finish reading that, Gmail says, you know, there's a new message here, would you like to update? And so I click yes, and now there's another one that says... Too late, I already said yes, besides I do all the work anyway. <laughs> and then I respond with something friendly and nice, like, sure, that sounds good, and then I don't hear anything from you until it's time to do the episode, and then you say... Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to come up with something smart and insightful and fact-filled to say about insert surprising topic there. I think listeners just got a really vivid sense of our process. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, as it happens, this episode really was inspired by a listener. Her name is Sarah Bigham, and she's a professor at Frederick Community College in Frederick, Maryland. It's about an hour from D.C. and Baltimore. Sarah grew up on the other side of the Mason-Dixon line in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. She ended up moving to Frederick because her sister lived there. And in 2002, she started teaching at FCC as an adjunct. Once a semester, she taught a couple of sections of an evening class, and right away, she she noticed something about the people who were showing up to learn about career communications. I had some incredible students. I would teach at both 5 o'clock and then I would have a 7.45 to 10.20 evening class. If you want to look for dedicated students, you will find them in the 7.45 to 10.20 evening time slot. Sarah ended up joining the Department of Social Sciences and Education in 2008, and that's where this episode really picks up. She's been on sabbatical, and for her research project, she decided that she wanted to learn more about a couple of worrying trends within the teaching profession. Number one, a drop in the number of students enrolling in teacher prep programs, including hers. And number two, a looming teacher shortage across all 50 states. If you look at those two things, you realize that if they continue, we're not going to have any teachers, or at least not enough to staff our schools. 
So I thought it would be important to look at what the teacher experience was, and a great way to do that might be through the eyes of those people who had been through our education courses. So that's exactly what she did. Sarah started talking to FCC grads who are now teaching, and what she heard really concerned her. Teachers were struggling, especially new teachers who hadn't found their footing yet when the pandemic hit. And she didn't hear their stories being represented in the media. But I was really taken aback by the number of people who mentioned mental health concerns. And they just had so many stories about seeking counseling or talking to their doctors about stress or needing anti-anxiety medication. And on one hand, I was really proud of the fact that people were reaching out for the help that they need. I, I think that's wonderful. I'm a huge proponent of, of mental health and, and self-care and making sure that we get the resources we need. But I was really taken aback and alarmed by the number of stories I was hearing about that. And I felt as if what I was hearing is not what I was seeing in news and updates about education. I was seeing a lot about students. And obviously, we want to pay attention to students. But I felt as if the teachers' voices and their experiences were really not being represented in the same way in in the media. And so Sarah reached out to the co-host of a certain education podcast. That would be me. She told me about her research and the story she was hearing. And this will not surprise you. I asked if I could talk to some of these teachers too. Brianna Napolis was one of them. She's a brand new special education teacher in the Frederick County Public Schools. And when I asked her what it had been like to start her teaching career during the pandemic, she didn't mince words. So I was teaching from my dining room table. I had just moved out of my parents' house with my fiance. And here I am trying to gather all of my necessary materials and avoid coming into the building, just of contact tracing and things like that. And it was it was difficult. I missed those interactions. I missed bonding with my team. I really just missed seeing my kids in person. And luckily, I had known them from my internship the year before. But it, it's, it's been really difficult. It's been really hard. For Kimberly Nelson, who started teaching third grade math just three months prior to the pandemic, the constant schedule changes and technology overload were overwhelming. We're switching to Schoology. We were using Google Classroom before in third grade. So I was like, I don't know what Schoology is. We had to do Schoology training. We had to learn all these other online tools. This is what your Google Meet code is. Like, this is the time we have to get on. This is how you're communicating with parents. You know, back to school night is virtual. Get out this email. Get out that email. It was just like a technology overload. And I'm, you know, young. I'm used to technology. But still, I was like, you're asking me to do all these things. And I don't know how to do most of them. Even worse was the feeling that so many people were angry with teachers. You know, so many people were angry at teachers for things that we did not have any control over. At that time, like, I was really struggling because I was like, I feel so hated and I'm doing nothing but teaching children how to add, you know, how to do multiplication. But it felt like even though obviously it wasn't directed at me personally, that it was just like a hatred for the whole profession on top of the fact that everybody knows we don't make a lot of money. 
when half the people say that we shouldn't even be making as much as we do, which is not a lot. And, you know, some of us do, some people do support us, but it's, it's a bigger toll than I think people realize. And sometimes it becomes a lot, but then days like today, like I had a good day today, days like today, my kids were great. We did math outside. They did such a good job. Days like today, I'm like, you know what? It is worth it. And I'm home before 5 p.m. And so how can I complain about that? Tiffany Flowers was doing her student teaching when the pandemic hit. And there were times when she wondered whether she even wanted to be a middle school math teacher anymore. There were a lot of times where I felt like I made the wrong career choice because teaching in the building is so different from teaching online because you're in front of the students, you can see their facial expressions, you can interact with them. And I like human connection. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I wanted to go into the education field. So when that was missing, I just felt like, oh, I picked the wrong pathway because I don't know how long this is going to go on for. So I just found unique ways. Every day I would start by just talking about their lives and some of their struggles. And that's how we kind of connect. Like, how are you dealing with this? This is how I'm dealing with it. Okay, let's learn now. By now, you're getting a taste of the sorts of stories that concern Sarah Bigham, or Dr. B, as her students refer to her. But that's not all she heard. Students like Tiffany also talked a lot about the experience of attending Frederick Community College. And what they had to say was really affirming. It was amazing. Uh, One of my first professors was Dr. Bingham, Sarah Bingham, and the education team there, they're just amazing. And they were just really supportive. They knew my story. They wanted me to be successful. So they worked with me. They knew I was a non-traditional student and they just really pushed me to keep going. So that was by far one of the best education programs I went to. They really appreciated the educational experience that they had at FCC. As a professor, it was really heartwarming to hear people talk about things that they remembered from my classes. In some cases, they are doing with their students the kinds of things that I did with them as college students. And that really made me smile. Okay, so Jack, in... All of our roughly now 115 episodes. So many episodes. We've done exactly one (laughs) that had anything to do with community colleges. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember which one that was? Yeah, we talked with Mike Rose. Oh, good. About Sharp today. Yeah, I forget what we called that, but it was an interesting piece where he talked about... how sort of elitist some of the framing around higher education is. And we talked about the the purpose and value of uh, higher ed, including uh, community colleges. Well, working on this episode reminded me of how little I know about community colleges, and I'm guessing that I'm not alone. And so I am going to put you on the spot again and ask you to kind of fill us in on where they came from. And the goal is to keep you from running on for, say, two years. (laughs) Well, then I could get my associate's degree. Um, So, all right, I'll try to be quick here. Um, The idea is hatched you know, as, as to my understanding out of uh, the University of Chicago. So um, their famous president, uh, William Rainey Harper, had this- A household Id- name, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, if you're taking like an intro to the history of higher education, it would be like one of five names you came away knowing. Uh, but uh, Harper's vision there was um, informed quite a bit 
by, oh my God, I'm like really setting up a long answer. I was going to talk about like how it is informed by the idea of the German research university, which also shaped the origins of Johns Hopkins University. Okay, I'll cut to the chase. Um, The idea was essentially that the first two years of college were kind of a waste of the faculty's time. Uh, I'm obviously oversimplifying here, but not by much, and that really it should be treated as an extension of secondary education. And if you flash forward across the first few decades of the 20th century, that really is the conversation is, um, you know, if we're talking about expanding access to higher education, do all these people really need to be going to uh, what was then conceived of as the research university, right? Where you're receiving a kind of elite training or could you just go to a place where you're doing sort of the freshman, sophomore style intro to, uh, you know, insert the field 101 level courses. Could that happen without bringing you to uh, the campus of the research university. And so over those decades, a number of two-year institutions begin popping up. Um, The Truman Commission weighs in on this. Uh, There are some implications related to the GI Bill, which is, of course, bringing lots more people to campus who ordinarily wouldn't have been seeking degrees in higher education. Um, Another classic president, James Conant, who was president of Harvard University in the mid-20th century, weighs in and uh, advocates for essentially creating these people's colleges. Again, there was a kind of elitism here thinking about uh, who really belonged on the campus of a university like Harvard. And so I think we can think of it two ways, as on the one hand, being this really beautiful democratic expansion of higher education, uh, envisioning these two-year schools as people's colleges that would be rooted in communities and which would have really broad and expansive missions. And then on the other hand, thinking of it as an elitist attempt to segregate and separate people who were perceived as being socially inferior to those who had traditionally pursued degrees in higher education. Congratulations, listeners. You have just completed an initial course in the history of the community college. <laughs> it's it's a micro-credential that you can add, uh, and you can just go on the Have You Heard website for your badge. Thank you, Jack, for that history lesson. Now back to the present. So when I had the opportunity to talk to these community college grads, one thing that leapt out at me was just how complicated so many of their own education stories were. Sure, they were new teachers starting their careers in a pandemic, but just getting to that point had often taken years. For example, Brianna, the special education teacher we met, she graduated from high school back in 2012 and went off to college. Eight years, two different community colleges, and a university in Maryland later, she finally got her bachelor's degree and is now certified to teach. I was 17. I was super young, and I was, in my mind, ready to conquer the world, but did not realize what would come with that. So at the time, I was living in North Carolina, and I really wanted to be a teacher, but North Carolina does not pay enough to sustain a lifestyle 
my parents are my biggest supporters, but my dad was kind of like, oh, he goes, why don't you go to business school? And I'm like, there is nothing about me that says business. Absolutely not. Finally, as a family, we just decided to move. So then I started going to community college in Frederick. And as soon as everything was kind of settled and I then transferred, it was long. I had to retake a couple of classes. Um, I had to halt and take off a semester because the testing program to become a teacher is so rigorous that the mental stress was just, it felt as though it was just unbearable at that time. Um, so I had just taken a little bit of a leave of absence until I was able to pass everything. Then there's Hank Walker. He was in his second year teaching remedial math in Western Maryland when the pandemic hit. He spent the spring worrying about missing students and students who just weren't connecting. Hank isn't his real name, by the way. He chose to go by a pseudonym for this episode. He first started on the path to becoming a teacher 14 years ago. Mine's interesting. I graduated high school in 2007, and I immediately wanted to get out of out of town and go to a college down in down by the beach in South Carolina. I wanted to be a, originally I wanted to be a secondary ed teacher anyway, but I wanted to be high school social studies. And when I got to orientation, they said, "Hey, we don't have uh, secondary ed anymore." So right then and there, I had to think, think of something new. So I chose physical education due to the fact that. I was very misguided and I became the school mascot and I couldn't pass anatomy and physiology to save my life. I ended up not doing very well in school. So in about the fall of 2011, um, I dropped out and decided to focus on bartending to make some money while I was there and, you know, pat, you know, just have a job and bartending turned into doing that for many years, which I had to do through college. When I was at community college, I was bartending, you know, 50 hours a week and still going to class. It wasn't until he ended up at FCC that something finally stuck. And a big part of that was that he didn't have to choose between working and going to school to become a teacher. I think going to FCC and, and getting being able to do both at the same time, I think that was that was majorly helpful. You know, they didn't see me as some some guy bartender who wants to, you know, try something different. They saw me as somebody who was eager to learn. So I'm proud of myself for being able to be a teacher. You know, it was a struggle, but that also helps me as a teacher. I can, I can, I know when a student's struggling, whether they won't say it or not, because I've been there. I, I would go to the bathroom just to avoid class for a while. I would, I would make up excuses, you know, like they're doing. I heard a lot of stories like this. Education journeys that started and stopped, then picked up again. Students finally finding success after multiple attempts and multiple schools. Tyler Ingram has one of these tales. Like roughly one-third of students who graduate from the Frederick Public Schools, he went to FCC. After two years, he transferred to Towson University to study journalism. And well, I'll let Tyler describe what happened next. Uh, my second year at Towson, they terminated the major. Um, journalism is in a way di a dying field as we are doing a podcast now. Um, so they switched it to like creative writing and it was very broad and I didn't know if I really wanted to do it anyways. Um, and I was partying really hard and being social and all of those kid things. Um, and so I dropped out when I was 21. Um, I came home, I worked. Um, I served tables, I bartended, I bounced, I landscaped, I hearts, anything I could make money to live. Mom and dad cut me off, I guess for like, yeah, about seven years, I just worked. 
By the time Tyler found himself back at FCC, he had a much better sense of what he wanted to do. That whole time that he was working pretty much any job he could find, well, he was also volunteering with kids at his church, through local sports groups and youth clubs. And as his mother pointed out, since he was working with kids seven days a week, why not try to make a career of it? So Tyler goes back to FCC and starts with a single education class taught by none other than Dr. B herself. He loved the class, but he still wasn't ready to commit to school or to education as a career. And I remember like a year later, I was at Chipotle and I'm like in line, minding my own business. And I look up and Dr. B sitting there with their wife eating lunch. And she stands up and she walks over to me and she says, where you been? I was like, uh, I've just been working. And she was like, you told me you were going to come back this semester and you're not there. And I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, I don't know if it's for me. Like, she's like, no, education is for you. She's like, I'm telling you it's for you. Uh, and she's like, I expect to see you very soon. So I think like a year or two later is when I finally then contacted her to go back full time. And I was like, look, all right, I need to do this. Can we look at my GPA? So between her and another lady, Heather Hinkle, who's wonderful to me at FCC, we went through all my transcripts, which were very dismal from my years at Towson and kind of planned out like, what do I need to do? What do I need to retake to get me to the next institution? This time, something clicked. And as Tyler puts it, going back to FCC and studying education ignited the fire in him for working with kids. Fast forward to the present, and Tyler is now at Shepherd University in West Virginia. He's working on his master's degree en route to becoming a K-12 PE teacher. And when I say fast forward, I mean it. Tyler finally figured out what he wanted to do, but he still barely got there. For one thing, his disastrous experience at Towson back in his first college attempt was still dragging his GPA down, nearly derailing his plan to become a teacher. Now that he's almost there, Tyler says that his rocky education experience will be an asset as he works with kids who need the most help. Ideally, as an educator, my you know, as a future educator, my main goal is to reach underrepresented students, to be the voice for them, to help advise students that don't have it at home. That's my, like, my heart, my passion is to, for those students that don't have the parental dynamic that is positive or gives them an advantage, I want to be, you know, that teacher that's like, hey, this is what you need to do to get into school. Hey, this is what you need to do to get in this trade. Um, Even though, you know, I'll be PE, I view PE as not only physical health and well-being lifestyle skills, but it's the most, one of the most social subjects that students have in a K through 12. So I want to use that to my advantage, um, be able to get into some of these kids' lives and, uh, you know, help them. Uh, So yeah, definitely my story, I, I would definitely use my story. A few quick facts about Frederick Community College. 96% of the students here are from Frederick County, and more than a third of graduates from the Frederick County Public Schools attend FCC at some point. Soon-to-be special education teacher Jody Eckert was one of them. She went to FCC right out of high school, largely because she didn't yet know what she wanted to do. I was kind of on the fence about my major. I went through wildlife biologists, natural resources police, and all these different things, and I couldn't decide. And my sister is a teacher, and my whole family is in education, and I thought, I've kind of grown up around this. I kind of feel like this is where I'm being led to go. 
let's go to FCC where I can try it out. You know, it's not quite as expensive as a university. I can feel the waters and decide if this is truly where I want to be. And so I started FCC, which is where my sister started, and it was a fabulous experience. And a big part of what Jody liked about FCC was who else was there? You have people like me who are traditional college students right out of high school, and then you have people who are not traditional. They've come back after having kids. They're in their 40s, 50s. We even had a student in his 70s who just wanted to come back to learn more about his grandchildren's education process. And I learned so much from not only my amazing professors, but the students, because we all came from different walks of life and came in with different experiences and goals and opinions and ideas. And that was just really fun for somebody who grew up in a rural area to kind of see that and all these different opinions and diversity. And it It was just really a great experience. Jody got her associate's degree. So did her 70-year-old classmate, by the way. And as of a few weeks ago, Jody has a BA from Hood University, also in Frederick. She also has a job lined up as a special education teacher in the district that she attended. I do. I was offered an open contract initially for my first interview, which was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders because I didn't know where I was going to be, but I was guaranteed a job. And then I guess about two weeks ago, I was offered a position in a program that we have in my county. It's all for students with autism, but the main goal is communication because they all have profound communication needs. 90% of my students use communication devices. Um, and I, it was actually my internship right now. So I've been in that program for the last semester. So I get to stay with my kids and my team, and I'm is so excited. I heard a similar story from fourth grade teacher Erica Hawkins. She's in her fourth year of teaching, and training to be a teacher in the place where she grew up was really important to her. This is where I grew up, so I've only ever known Frederick County, and it is a super great place to I mean, I was raised here. The teachers I had were incredible. Going to FCC, going to community college really put me back in the community where I got to do observations and see the people that taught me. Now that I'm an adult, I get to see all the magic that they create for their students every day. So seeing it as an adult is so different. But I knew that this county was where I was supposed to be. When Dr. B started her research project in the spring, her goal was to interview 16 former students. She ended up talking to 66, and I was starting to understand why. These FCC grads, frankly, they were blowing my mind, forcing me to interrogate all kinds of beliefs about education and place, about what kinds of backgrounds we want teachers to have, and how we define smart. When I asked Sarah about this, she had a lot to say. Well, Jennifer, I have so many thoughts about this. Yes, 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 yes to all of those things. I got my master's degree at Cornell, an Ivy League institution, and I certainly met smart people there. I met smart people at all of the institutions that I attended or where I worked. But I think people oftentimes in society in general don't realize the smart that we have at the community college. And the skills that those students can bring to teaching or to any number of other careers. I try to start every semester by saying to the class, 
I don't care if you're a brand new college student, this is the first time you've ever taken a college class, or this is the second college you've tried, or maybe this is the seventh or eighth or ninth time you've tried. We're all in this together. I know you can be successful, and I look forward to working with you this semester. There was one other theme that emerged from my conversations with these community college grads. They kept telling me that they think community colleges get a rap that they don't deserve. Kimberly Nelson, who we met way back at the beginning of this episode, says that she often hears people say that community colleges are just like high school. A lot of people from my high school did go to FCC, but most people I know said, you know, FCC or any community college in general is just like high school. Like you're not getting that education. Like it may be cheaper, but you know, I have, which is truly, I have a high school professor that teaches at a community college, which I mean, great for them because that means that they know their stuff in my opinion. And you know, you still have to have the knowledge to teach, even though it's a community college. So I think it definitely does. And for no reason, because I know people that went through the traditional school and they are at the same exact job, making the same amount of money as me with the same knowledge. And I saved a lot of money. So, And remedial math teacher Hank Walker, he says he's hopeful that the Biden administration's push to invest more in community colleges may be a sign that they're finally going to get the respect they deserve. 100%. I wish there was no more stigma against community colleges. I had better professors locally than I did, you know, 10 hours away at a four-year university. Um, and that's just a personal experience, but I support investing in, in local community colleges, investing in communities in general. That's what we need to do all across the board, I think. A huge thanks to Sarah Bigham for suggesting this episode and to all of the Frederick Community College grads who shared their stories. And Jack and I will be right back to talk about some of our assumptions about community colleges that have now been upended thanks to this episode. And of course, we'll be revealing the topic of our In the Weeds segment for our Patreon subscribers. Here's a two-word hint dumpster fire. If that intrigues you, just head over to patreon.com slash have you heard podcast and become a supporter. So Jack, I had such a good time working on this episode. I could not stop interviewing graduates of Frederick Community College because I really felt like every time I talked to them, I just felt better about the world. And and it challenged a lot of my assumptions, assumptions that I didn't even realize that I necessarily held. Um, it was such a it was such a refreshing opportunity to hear people talk really passionately about staying remaining rooted in a place it made me think of an episode we did way back in 2016 after the election with Joan Williams and how you know she challenged this assumption that you know you have to leave your community in order to succeed and so hearing grads talk about how like getting to go to school in a place where they were surrounded by people who were also from that place and then knowing that they were going to stay in the place was it just made me realize how many of these kind of assumptions about about social capital that I've adopted along the way. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there, Jennifer. And one of the things that it's making me think about is the hand wringing about you know how we're going to get teachers 
to move to, let's say, rural areas or um, to live in uh, urban neighborhoods where they are teachers and to become really a part of those communities rather than just dropping in to teach or better yet, to get people who are from those communities to become teachers. And it just seems so obvious that community colleges have a role to play there. But because of the elitism that dominates the way we view colleges and universities, you know, I think there would be a lot of pushback against this notion that community college grads can be teachers. Um, and you know, maybe we do want to think about uh, continuing to insist that all teachers have four-year degrees. But I think it's also possible to envision ways of leveraging two-year schools to you know, keep people in communities as teachers. Um, that you know, there's a role to play there, and there's obviously a lot of powerful learning that happens at these two-year schools. Well, that concludes the feel-good portion of the episode. Now it's time to pivot to the feel-bad portion, and we're going to be digging in in depth in our In the Weeds segment that we do for our Patreon subscribers. Jack, you probably have noticed that, well, things are on fire right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. It's not it's not wildfire season, it's dumpster fire season here uh, in America, and particularly with regard to how we are talking about uh, our schools and the people who teach in them. You are exactly right. And we just did an episode about the K-12 culture wars. I'm still thinking about it and how we seem to have ended up right back in the 1980s. So that's where, where we are headed in the weeds. If this interests you, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash have you heard podcast. And we're going to be talking about the sort of unraveling of this bipartisan consensus, this glue that held Republicans and Democrats together for so long. And it's gone. And as a result, we have a dumpster fire, as Jack put it. So just go to patreon.com slash have you heard podcast and you can see all the cool extras you can get. Of course, that's not the only way to support the show. Right. If becoming a Patreon subscriber in order to access that material sounds expensive and boring to you, then there are other ways. No one ways. is thinking that, Jack. There Not a single other, person. There are other ways to support the show. Uh, you know, I love when uh, I hear that people have shared either the latest episode or their favorite episode with friends or coworkers or, you know, even sometimes a frenemy who just needs to be corrected on something. Uh, we love knowing that you are listening, uh, however you can convey that to us. So the show's Twitter handle is at Have You Heard Pod. The Have You Heard Mailbag is always full of goodies. Um, and uh, go on and write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to throw us some stars and make sure that you are a subscriber so that you get the latest episodes when they drop. Expensive and dull, words I will not recover from soon. <laughs> on that note, I'm Jennifer Berkshire. <laughs> and I'm Jack Schneider. This is Have You Heard. 